We are in a series of messages titled Unstoppable. We are talking through or we're, we're studying through the book of Acts together. And I want to say real quick thank you uh, to Pastor Jamie Bowman, who two weeks ago did this marvelous job uh, taking us through an incredible passage about Ananias and Sapphira. And then last week, Pastor Jeremiah took us through uh, another incredible journey through this book. That, that's really, it's really a ton of fun. We're having a great time. And I'm so grateful uh, for their assistance. As you know, I'm in the process of trying to have surgery on my shoulder, and that was the first attempt <laughs> that my doctor is doing. So that is still yet to come, and I'll keep you posted on that. But I want to say thank you. Today, today we're back into our study, and we're going to have, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Give me a lot of fun. I, as you may or may not know, I think most of you do, I have a very common last name. My last name is Jones. There are approximately 1.7 million Joneses in America. Now, that's not the worldwide number. The worldwide number is far greater. And in fact, if you look to somewhat of the etymology of the name Jones, you find out that it really speaks to this name of Johnson. Uh, it's John's son. And Jones is somewhat of an abbreviation of Johnson. Or I would, in my particular case, I would say Johnson is an extension of Jones. So that's the way I'm going to look at it. Anyway, it's a very common name. And I look at that name, and it, you know, when you think about this, here's something surprising to me. You cannot imagine how many times I've had people ask me how to spell it. The first time that happened to me, I literally, my eyes got wide. I think my mouth dropped open, and I said, excuse me? How do you spell that? And I went, and I spelled it for her, J-O-N-E-S. I mean, what, Jones? I had a friend in college uh, his name was Mike Jens. He spelled his name J-O-E-N-S. And so I used to give Mike a hard time. I said, no, that's just Jones spelled wrong. You just spelled it wrong. You're really one of us. The point being, it's a very common name. And I look at my life, and I'm a pretty common guy. I have kind of common height. I have kind of common weight. And sometimes it becomes less common than other times. I have common eye color. All of those things. Just a pretty common guy. And, you know, frankly, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the commonality of my life. It's, it's perfectly fine. But I do believe that there's something down inside of me and in every one of us that wants us to move from being common to uncommon. And you say, well, wait a minute. What, what, what exactly are you talking about when you talk about being uncommon? Well, a here's one definition of uncommon. You ready? Above the ordinary, exceptional, remarkable. I have a hunch that all of us want to be a little, we want to be uncommon. Let me, give you, let me give you a case in point. Maybe we would all like to be the one who scores the winning touchdown. We would, we would like, we would probably like to be that number one salesperson in our organization. We'd like to finally get that deal on Shark Tank. We want to be that uncommon person. We want to move beyond the common life to the uncommon life. And honestly, it is within every one of our grasps. It is possible for us to be uncommon, even if we consider ourselves common. And I think our story this morning, it really underscores that for us. I, I believe, though, that when we talk about uncommon, we're talking about uncommon maybe in the ways that culture may not define uncommon. I believe there is something for all of us to be uncommon where we accomplish the purposes of God that God has for us. That we move from being common, the common life, into the 
uncommon life. And so we're going to talk about that this morning because I believe it can happen. We're going to do so looking at a life of a very common guy, but who had an uncommon life. His name is Stephen. And if you look with me at Acts chapter 6, we're going we're gonna to look at all of Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. We're not going to take the time to read all of it. It's an immense, uh, immensely large portion of scripture. So I want to encourage you to do this. So during this week, go back and read Acts 6 and 7. Keep your notes that you have and use them as somewhat of a, a guide, a way to go a little deeper into this particular story because it is powerful in so many different ways. But to begin, we want to read Acts chapter 6 beginning at verse number 1. Look at it with me if you would. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you would encourage us, strengthen us, and teach us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So far in this series, we've, we have seen the church come into existence, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, explosive growth, some opposition beginning towards the church. Well, today we come to a place that really in many respects is a pivot point in the book of Acts. We're going to move into some different, kind of some different areas after this particular story, which is really significant. And as I said, we're not able to cover the, to read every portion of Acts chapter six and seven, so please do that this week. But let me give you a little bit of background to just help us get us into this study for this morning. In Acts chapter six, one through seven, what we have just read, we become aware of a dilemma that has happened in the church, that there was a group of Greek-speaking Jews, their widows, were not being cared for in the daily distribution of food. This was something that was very common within the Jewish community. And so this raised questions, it raised concerns, and say, this can't happen, this can't happen, what are we going to do about it? And it, it seems obvious from the text is that they wanted the apostles to distribute food and to do everything else, and they said, no, 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 we can't do that. We've got to find another solution. So what they did is they appointed seven individuals to take care of that responsibility. This is where we come up with the, the, the church office, as it were, of deacon. And the word deacon in this particular case is a Greek word that is diakonos, which means to serve, to serve. That's what their task was. So when you move on past verse number seven to chapter six, verses eight to 15, we see opposition arising. Now, you would think that once the dilemma was solved, there wouldn't be any opposition, but the opposition continued from the religious leaders directed at Stephen. And that's where Stephen comes prominent. He's one of the seven, but the opposition that is happening out of this was directed at Stephen. There's something very significant about this. They were, they were opposing him at every step, but here's what we read about Stephen or about that particular uh, occasion says they could not stand up against his wisdom. So everything that they poured on Stephen, he was able to answer in extraordinary ways. I would say it this way, he was able to answer in uncommon 
ways, probably surprising to many of them. But the opposition is now starting to take, take hold and things are beginning to amplify. When you read on to chapter 7, verses 1 to 53, Stephen has the opportunity in front of the religious leaders to make a defense. And what he does is masterful. He walks through history, he walks through scripture and, and Jewish history to lay out his case. Well, when you read the final portion of this, Acts chapter 7, verse 54, through chapter 8 and verse number 1, you see they didn't like what he had to say, and from that, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. So it's in this framework that we want to talk about an uncommon life. And there are two things that we see in the life of Stephen that each of us can apply to our own lives, where whether we consider ourselves common or not, but we can move from a place into the uncommon life. So two things. The first one is this. An uncommon life displays godly character. An uncommon life displays godly character. And it is so profound in the life of Stephen. And you can't, it's just over and over again, almost over the top. Stephen was an extraordinary guy. And in fact, I was reading a little bit and one person said this said, if Stephen had not been martyred, would it have been a possibility that he would have become a very prominent leader within the church? Quite possibly. He was that kind of guy. He was a common guy, but yet he had an uncommon life. And the reason was because of his character. It was his character. Everything that Stephen did started with his character. And it's important to note, it's important to note, without godly character, we will not have an uncommon life. Now, you say, well, is, you know, so if I don't have character, I'm not going to get the deal on Shark Tank? I'm not talking about that kind of uncommon. I'm talking about accomplishing the purposes of God that God has for you and for me. And you say, but Gary, I'm, I'm just a very common guy. I'm a very common gal. What can I do? What, what can I do to accomplish the purposes of God? Oh, my goodness. If you're a parent... You can raise that child in the fear and instruction of the Lord. That's uncommon, especially with the, with the assault that is happening against the family today. You can be the very best employee that you can be, doing all things to the glory of God. That's, dare I say, uncommon? I think it is. And it begins with character. It begins with character. Well, how does it, how does it flesh out? Well, Horace Mann said something. Horace Mann was an educator. He said, character, character is what God and the angels know us, know of us. Reputation is what men and women think of us. Yikes. Kind of convicting, huh? Your reputation and your character are different things. I want, I don't want them to be different things. I want them to match up. I want, I want my life and who I am to be what others see. I, I want who I am before God to be what others observe as I walk through this life. The building, shaping, and maintaining of our character should be the number one priority as we pursue the uncommon life. And I would suggest that Stephen really exemplified the full life that Jesus spoke of. He said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. And here's and here's how that fleshes out. First, Stephen was full of faith. He was full of faith. 
read about this in verse number five. You ever been around someone who is just full of faith? They, they, they're just amazing people to be around. They are uncommon in so many ways. They're full of faith. They're just nothing, nothing seems to get them down. Nothing seems to overwhelm them. They look at, li- they look, they look at life through a lens that God can do this. Man, what a way to live. What a, what a way for others to see in your life. Man, that guy, that gal, they're, just, they're so uncommon in the way that they face life. They, they're just nothing, nothing kind of overwhelms them. Stephen was full of faith. See, he was exceptional in the extent to his, of his faith to where he was willing to trust Christ, to take him at his word, and to risk all for Christ's sake. Now, that's just a simple way of saying to be full of faith is to take Christ at his word. What Christ has said, Christ will do. Believe it. Live it out each and every day. Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. May our lives display that kind of faith. So Stephen was full of faith. Second character quality is that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Again, verse number five, he's full of the Spirit. While this is a qualification for leadership in the church to be a deacon, it's a desperately needed character quality in every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now that was, I heard a little murmur of an amen. It was just a murmur. It was really quiet. We desperately need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. That is a character quality that that shows itself very evidently, you ready? In things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What are those? The fruit of the Spirit. That is the character of Christ in you. Are, are you full of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like in your life? There's a, a, a great, he's a commentator now, Tony Dungy, you'd probably know the name. Uh, great football coach. He was a player, NFL player, NFL coach, won a Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts. Incredible follower of Christ, written a number of books, but one of his books, I think, exemplifies this idea of being full of the Holy Spirit. Quiet strength, a quiet strength. You see, there is something about the Spirit of God that, in, that just overwhelms us, empowers us. It doesn't have to be loud and boisterous to be uncommon. It can be quiet. It can show kindness. It can show goodness. It can show self-control. It can love at all times. It can have peace and joy and patience. You see, we can be full of the Holy Spirit. And oh, goodness, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Of all the character qualities, think of how powerful your life and how uncommon our lives would be as we are full of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, Paul says it well, and this is from the Passion Translation. And I love the way they characterize it because it's the essence of the original language of Greek. Be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. It's a daily, it's a daily moment by moment life. The third quality or the third, the third character quality is full of grace. Full of grace. I had the, uh, the, uh, the incredible privilege of working along some, aside someone who, if, if there was anything that would characterize him, was grace. 
In fact, if there was going to be a mistake, he was going to err on the side of grace. Always. And it was just so challenging to me. Because there were times I'm thinking, how can you be gracious in this? Because I'm thinking at that point, hammer's got to fall, you know, it's got to, got to do this, right? It's got to, got to, no, grace, grace. It was always grace. I'm telling you, I learned so much from that approach to life. Think about your own life and experience and the challenges that we have every day. And there's not, a, there's not a person here this morning or joining us online that hasn't had a challenge this week. Right? You, you, and you probably had a challenge to say, Grace, are you kidding me? No. But what if we were to err always on the side of grace? What, what a powerful, powerful thought. You see, by Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit, being full of faith, this being full of grace seems to be a natural following. It's a spiritual charm, a winsomeness is how the word is actually defined. God's grace made Stephen a gracious person. One more time, God's grace made Stephen a gracious person. And I wonder if in everything we would default to an undeserved favor. What if that became your default mechanism rather than justice? Rather than even, even truth? Well, what if you started from a position of grace? We sang about it this morning where we stand on it. It is a platform upon which we stand. Is that characteristic of your life? Is it characteristic of my life? What if I would honor others more than myself? What if I would love unconditionally? Would my life be an uncommon one? I believe it would. Because when we look through life today, we don't see the uncommon trait of being full of grace. We see probably everything but. And it affects us profoundly. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is from the NIV uh, 1984. And I love the way it's phrased. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. You hear that? That no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, when we miss the grace of God, here's what happens. When we miss grace, things become toxic. A person without grace is toxic. Religion without grace is toxic. A church without grace is toxic. Relationships without grace is toxic. A heart without grace is toxic. I don't know. I don't want to have any toxicity in my life. How about you? Stephen was full, full of grace. The next quality, which is powerful, he was full of power. Powerful. He was full of power. So he's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. Man, you, you start to, you're starting to see that, that kind of how this man is shaping up. Here we read of Stephen that he did great wonders and signs among the people. He allowed God's power to be at work through him. And, and I would, and I would venture, I would venture a guess today. Sometimes we, we may limit God's power working through us because we don't feel as if we are uncommon enough for that to occur. But if we are full of faith, 
If we are full of the Holy Spirit, if we are full of grace, a natural outgrowth is to be full of the power of God and believe for God to do what God can do through us. Come on. Come on. If you're full of faith, you're going to take Jesus at his word. Right? Okay. John chapter 14. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. Anyone who believes in me. I could change the word just for the sake of our conversation. Ready? I tell you the truth. Common people who believe in me. How about that? Now that's a, I'm, I'm doing violence to the text, so forgive me. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Did you see there's a phrase in there that you should not miss or overlook? Ready? so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. This is not about us exerting this incredible strength so that we stand out above the rest. No, it is so that the glory of God is what is most important. It's so that God is glorified through what God is doing in us and through us for the benefit of others. Finally, the last quality is he was full of wisdom. Wow. Wouldn't that be a cool trait to have on your resume? Full of wisdom. That's something to be, something to be to strive after, wouldn't you say? It's an inspired wisdom. It's a gift from God. And how we need inspired wisdom today. Every, it seems like there's not a day that goes by that I am not challenged in some way where wisdom has to come out of my, con in my conversations with people and interactions on email. Boy, be careful of what you say on email. Oh, boy. Well, be careful of spell check on texts. Not spell check, um, autocorrect. Oh, that can get you in trouble, right? We just have to be careful. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I found this, strangely enough, I, I don't find many things on Facebook that are worthy of keeping. But I found this one and I grabbed it, ready? We're drowning in information while starving for wisdom. I'm telling you, that is so, I looked at that and I went, oh my goodness, that is so true. We are no, we're not short on, we're not short on information. We got information. But what about wisdom? But isn't it interesting that Stephen is considered to be full of wisdom? Navigating the cultural landscape has never been more difficult, and virtually every turn there's a minefield that we as Christ followers have to navigate, whether it's the polarized political climate or whether it's what's being taught or not taught in the schools, whether it's the advocacy for the unborn. Can we agree to this little phrase, God, give us wisdom. God, grant us wisdom. Desperately, desperately. Luke 21 and verse 15 says, For I will give you the right words, Jesus said, and, and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Stephen. A common guy was able in uncommon ways because he was full of faith, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was full of grace, he was full of power, and he was full of wisdom. Oswald Chambers, great writer, this is what he wrote about character. He said, the expression of Christian character is not doing good, but God-likeness. 
If the Spirit of God has transformed you within, you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life, not good human characteristics. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as human life trying to be godly. Oh my goodness. That, that's something that you could just read four or five times to fully understand the power of that statement. I want God's life to be my life. I want the character of Christ. I want the character of a man like Stephen to be displayed in me. You see, character is important. Before you do anything, it starts with character. So the second thing this morning is an uncommon life is identifiable in our behavior. How we live our lives is because of, of, of who we are. That's what it is. And this is really so very important. And there are four things that we see in Stephen that Stephen does that really reflects or come out of his characters. The first one is this. He serves others willingly. Now, I was, some years ago, I was interviewed at a, at a particular church, and this was a lot of years ago now. And this was a question I never had asked of me before, and it was a very, it was one that was sobering. Asked me this question. Are you, Gary, Marcy, are you guys overqualified for this job? And I was taken aback by it. I went, <laughs> and I don't know if I, I may have grinned, I don't know. But here's what I said. I said, I don't believe anybody's overqualified to do what God calls them to do. And that was enough of that. But you notice what happens here? Stephen has all of these amazing character qualities. And what is he asked to do? Wait on tables. Set, I can say it this way, set up chairs, pick up trash, do maintenance, not preach, not teach, not lead worship, not lead the conference, not be the, you see what I'm saying? He serves willingly. It's not about what he does, but who he is is driving his willingness to serve others. One more time, who he is is driving his willingness to serve others. It's not about the task. It's about the opportunity. It's the opportunity to serve. It's so significant. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect this ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. That's what he was asked to do. It's not, hear this, it's not what we do. Rather, it is who we do it for. It's not what we do. It's who we do it for. Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love Rick Warren. He always comes up with such great statements. Rick's, Rick said this. He said, the only way you can serve God is by serving other people. Aye. <laughs> That's pretty poignant, isn't it? All right, take out that little piece of paper. I... I dropped mine on the floor. I hope you didn't do yours. But I'm going to ask, I'm going to challenge you to serve this morning. I'm going to challenge you to serve. Say, well, Pastor Gary, you know, if I do that, you know, is it, is it going to have some prominence to it? You know, am I going to be able to direct the team? Am I going to? It's not what you do. It's who you do it for. One more time, I should get an amen out of this. Okay. It's not what you do. It's who you do it for. So. Look on here, there's just five things and there's an other category, okay? And that other category could be anything. But these are, five, these are five things or four things that 
are very critical right now that we could use some help. We need some admin help. What does that mean? Well, we got all kinds of things. We're going to have, we'll follow up with you immediately, but would you write down something to say, this is what I'll do. I'm willing, I'm, I'm willing to do this. If, if what Rick is saying is true, and I do believe the only way that you can serve God is by serving other people, what a great way to do that here at Crossroads Church, to serve others. And, and not, in, not in such a way that's going to burn you out or wear you down, but rather it's going to lift you up and it's going to encourage, it's going to strengthen you. But administration, care and support, Crossroads Kids Prayer Team, we are in the process of rebuilding after all that has happened during COVID, rebuilding our prayer team. Some of you can pray. I know you can pray. And there's so many different ways to do that. We'll help you. We'll train you. We'll get you up to speed. That's not the issue. But are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? And that's, my hope is that yes, yes, that you are. Would you fill this out? And then when we leave today, you can leave it with our ushers. Yes, put your name on it. That would be very helpful. We forgot that. Yeah, I've filled it out. Ha, ha, ha. Nobody knows who I am. Sweet. I can be obedient and anonymous. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love it. <laughs> so put your name on it. Maybe in some way to get a hold of you. That would be great. That would be great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. <laughs> the second thing is that we read about him as he was dedicated to Scripture. You say, well, how do you know that, Gary? Well, let me read you Acts chapter 7, verse 1, verse 2. And the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? He was being charged of blasphemy. That's what was happening, which was punishable by death, by stoning. The Romans still allowed the Jews to, to stone someone according to their law. That was still there. It didn't happen all the time, as was in the case of Jesus. They couldn't prove this was kind of the similar charge that was to Jesus. And they finally had to take him to the Roman governor for crucifixion. But in Stephen's case, that was the punishable, that was the, that was the punishment for blasphemy. Are these charges true? To this he replied. And then he goes through the remainder and he begins to just unpack scripture. And it's an amazing, he just lays out Jewish history. And it's all scripture. Here's my point. He's been accused of blasphemy. And then over these next number of verses, as you read in chapter number seven, beginning at verse three, he, he applies Jewish history in three different ways. The first way is that God's activity is not confined geographically. The second thing he does, worship acceptable to God is not confined only to the temple. And thirdly, the Jews have constantly rejected God's representatives. That is a summary of what he says. And he does it masterfully. And here's what I want you to take away. His use of scripture made his defense powerful and convicting. And the question for all of us this morning is, do we have the same understanding of scripture? Are we taking the time that we need to take? Are we spending, investing the time in God's word so that when we are confronted with the questions that others are asking, we can give the answer authoritatively from God's word? It's convicting to me, probably convicting to all of us. Do we have the recall of Scripture, the understanding of Scripture, to give the answers to the questions that people are asking? Do not neglect God's Word in your life. I'm going to say it again. Do not neglect God's Word in your life. Psalm 119, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. 
Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. First Peter 3, and if someone asks about the hope as a, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And we shouldn't explain it just from our own natural uh, education or experience, but we should give them something that's powerful, God's word. Also, the third thing is, that Stephen does, he was unashamedly bold. Okay? He was unashamedly bold. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Look at this. Okay, he's given this, he's given this expl- explanation of scripture, the history. He says, you stiff-necked people. <laughs> wow. What if I began each Sunday? Good morning, you stiff-necked people. I think it would be me and Marcy here. And she would probably leave. That's, <laughs> that's pretty startling, isn't it? Look at this, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but not, you have not obeyed it. Wow. I'm telling you, you know what happened now? These guys got ticked off. They started yelling. They were grinding their teeth. Now, that's nutty to me, but snarling is what it really means. They were snarling at him. There was literally a demonic attack at that moment directed at Stephen because of the power of the word of God and that they could not stand up against what he said from God's word. Oh, to be so full of faith, so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of power, and so full of wisdom when there's one I left out, so full of grace. You say, wait a minute. I don't see grace there. There's no grace there. Oh, really? Okay. Tim Keller, love what he writes. Tim Keller, who pastors in New York City, he said, truth without grace is not really truth. And grace without truth is not really grace. You see? Even though Stephen is telling them the truth, which they needed to hear, grace is what he was standing on. Because it was to bring them back into a place of hopefully repentance. To a place of saying, we're wrong. We're convicted by what God's word is saying. And we're going to make a change in our own lives. But that was not what happened. I read 1 Peter 3, 15 a moment ago. Look at, as I finish, read on to verse 16. Someone asks you about your hope as a believer. Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. And you're going to see that in Stephen in just a moment. The fourth thing and final thing is that an uncommon life faces challenges courageously. Now, as I said, they rushed at him. They, They dragged him out of the hall, literally dragged him outside and threw him in a pit what it was. There was a pit, a kind of a stoning pit. Threw him in a pit. And then the persons who would make the first accusation would be the first one to cast the stone. You remember the story about Jesus? The first one, you know, the one without sin, throw the first stone. Remember that? 
The, the, and that's what was going to happen to Stephen. And it was, not a, it was not a quick death. One could hope that one would take a, a stone to the head and be rendered unconscious. But that usually wasn't the case. These guys didn't have the pitcher's arm of, you know, you Darvish for, you know, the San Diego Padres and go Padres. Anyway, I had to get that out, you know. But listen to this, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. You see that? Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They fell on his knees. He cried out, Lord. Do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The response to Stephen's scriptural indictment was intense. They rushed, him, rushed at him and dragged him out of the assembly hall. But he was courageous. There are three things that we glean from his courageous stand. The first one is this. The fullness of the Holy Spirit does not diminish when we encounter challenges and difficulties, it intensifies. I don't know what you might be facing this week, whether at work or at home or wherever. I want you to know something. When the pressure's on, the Spirit of God will rise up in your life. It will intensify and strengthen you and sustain you and keep you strong and courageous. The presence of God's even more pronounced in crisis. Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk in the fire of oppression, you'll not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Hallelujah. Second thing is that in, in the most intense of times, prayer must remain as the highest of priorities. I cannot tell you how important it is that when the pressure's on, just call out the name of Jesus. Pray. He's there with you. He's there with you. As we've already read, he's with us in fire and in flood. Stephen's word, and then the final, let me read Matthew 26. He went on a little farther, says Jesus, and bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Wow. The third thing, the impact of Christ-likeness in the face of struggle will produce unexpected and amazing outcomes. I'm telling you something, this is so powerful. It is so powerful. Stephen's words, as, being, as he is being stoned to death, are reminiscent of Jesus' words when he was being crucified. 
forgiveness. Those who heard Jesus utter those words, i.e. a Roman soldier who stood at the foot of the cross and he saw Jesus' reaction, what did he say? Surely this man was the son of God. Here is another young man standing at a stoning pit with the coats who are executing judgment on this innocent man, giving approval to the death of Stephen. I told you at the very beginning this is a pivot point in the book of Acts because now everything will move from the church, Stephen and Peter, and it will move to a man by the name of Saul who will soon become Paul the apostle the most prolific missionary and writer of scripture that whose impact is continuing to this day. Could it be that it was the face like an angel of Stephen? Could it be I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father? Could it be, Father, forgive them. Do not hold this sin to their charge that haunted Saul of Tarsus until the day on the Damascus road when God said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that man was changed. I'll tell you something. You might consider yourselves common, but there is an uncommon life available to you and to me as we are full of faith, as we are full of the Holy Spirit, as we are full of power, full of grace, full of wisdom, and we are willing to serve no matter what God may ask of us. We're willing to do it. We are willing to go. We very simply will face challenges courageously as Stephen did. It will be dedicated to Scripture. It will be bold when it's appropriate to be bold. You know something, something I believe occurred that day is that Satan thought he had won a victory. I got rid of one more of those pesky individuals. But Saul was raised up and the church was scattered. Persecution began. You see, up until this time, the church has stayed in Jerusalem, but Jesus had said in Acts chapter one, verse number seven, he replied, the father alone is the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when the church was scattered, the purpose that God had called them to was now going to be accomplished. Satan overplayed his hand, and he will always overplay his hand when it comes to the unstoppable nature of the church. And he will always overplay his hand because he will call you common when God has called you uncommon and given you the equipment to be what God has called you to be and to accomplish his purpose in the world. Hallelujah. And my desire for you and for us as a church is that we would move from the, un we would move from the common to the uncommon and be filled and be filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with grace, filled with power, and filled with wisdom and then be obedient to what God calls us to be and to do. One final thought this morning. While we, while we may consider ourselves common, an uncommon life 
is readily available to all of us as we allow Christ to mold our character and empower our behavior. Thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. I pray, oh God, move us from the common to the uncommon for your honor and praise. And let us look the life of Stephen and let his life be an inspiration to ours. Thank you, Jesus, for each person here, common as we may be, you have provided a way for us to be uncommon through our character, molding us and shaping us so that we can be and we can do what you've called us to do based upon who we are. All for your honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.